Digital transformation continues to accelerate, yet most companies still struggle to achieve success. What sets the leaders of successful companies apart? In this podcast, top business leaders share what their goals are, why they're successful, and how they drive effective digital initiatives for their companies and for their customers. Welcome to the Walk Me Podcast. This is Digital Adoption. Episode 5, Why Being an Optimist Pays Off, with our guest, Joe Atkinson, the CTO at PwC, co-hosted by Samyutha Reddy and me, Leah Siener. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Today, I have my usual amazing co-host, Samyutha. Hi, Samyutha. Hi, everyone. We have Joe Atkinson, the Chief Product and Technology Officer at PwC. Hi, Joe. Hi, everybody. So before we start picking your brain on your job and how you do what you do, let's just first for our listeners get like an intro on how you would describe your role over at PwC, um, your role and your goals, let's say, if you think sure. of us that. So I serve as the vice chair for uh, PwC and I'm the chief products and technology officer. So in that responsibility, um, all of our client facing technology, the, the technologies we use to enable our services to clients. Um, the products and technologies we're building that our clients can utilize to improve their own businesses, as well as our internal technology. So the technology we use to enable our people and our teams and our businesses across the firm um, are all part of my organization. And at the end of the day, um, I'd say the goal is really about delivering exceptional experiences across all of those stakeholders so that people are getting the technology they need, they're getting it at a level of performance and quality that they expect or, or better. Um, and they're able to use it to improve whatever it is that they're working on, whether it's a client engagement or whether it's our clients working on a problem or our people working on uh, their day-to-day work. So it's kind of like taking customer success to the absolute maximum possible level and saying, we're going to have this top C-level executive and a whole team dedicated to making sure that we deliver what we've promised. I, I think it's a great way to. Th- I think it's a great way to think about it, Lee. I, I laugh because I am surrounded by customers on every side, right? My colleagues are my customers. My partners are my customers. My customers are my customers, and it is all about uh, delivering great tech and great experiences for them. And is that is it internal as well? Is your role also ensuring on the employee side? It is. It is. Okay. And um, as as this team knows, for the last few years, my responsibility has been the firm's digital transformation. Um, So now we're really taking that transformation, the work our teams have done to adopt tech and and upskill themselves, taking that essentially to the next level of of where we think we can go next. That's so interesting that you, um, you know, you say kind of your main responsibility is digital transformation, Joe. We've been talking to a ton of CIOs and kind of diving into what CIOs and, and, and chief digital officers are really up to. And what we get is I'm betting my career on digital transformation at this company, right? Like I'm betting kind of my reputation on making sure that this digital transformation project succeeds at PwC. What kind of pressure does that feel like for you? Like, does it feel like a lot? Cause well, just as you're running through you your role, like I'm like, that. Like, <laughs> like, I guess it is a lot of pressure. Look, I'm so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so look, I think that's true. I think there's a lot of executives right now that are, that are way out in front leading and, and taking the risk that that represents. And I, and that does represent a lot of pressure. Um, when Leah was asking about the, the kind of the customer environment, if you think of, of the way we approach it, that everybody is a customer of what we're trying to do. 
um, that anybody who's in a customer or client facing business knows you if if you're good at what you do you feel that pressure every single day every minute of every day and i do i do and my team does so um, now on the other side i have the great benefit of 50 plus thousand people at pwc who are phenomenal I'm a little biased but they're phenomenal um, and so their ability to execute on the vision and to kind of bring us forward I think the best digital leaders will say that they're leading the vision, but the best organizations are leading their digital leaders. And so that that uh, combination of talent and capability and, frankly, drive of our people to make it better, to use it in different ways to innovate, um, I, as much as I feel the pressure, I feel really confident they're going to get us there. You kind of talk about um, PwC and as being kind of globally one of the biggest advisory firms kind of out there. What has your career been like at PwC specifically? Like, how do you get to being C-level at PwC? It sounds like, I mean, I don't even know what percentage of people can claim that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty small group of us, as you, as, as you can imagine. But at the same time, I think one of the things I love about the firm um, I, I often joke about, I've been at the firm now, uh, try to do my math right, I'm going to say 26, 27 years now. And um, so when you get to the point that you're in an organization for 27 years, you get kind of two questions. One is, like, why have you been there that long, right? And the other is, is there really not been something that kind of pulled you out of that or that you wanted to kind of shake it up? And one of my, one of my great um, experiences at PwC has been that the experience changes so rapidly because our business reflects our clients. So as trends unfold, our business changes to react to those changes. And I'm, I'm always a fan of reminding people that the firm's been around for 170 years. And I really think one of the reasons the firm's been around for that long is its ability to adapt and change. And so for me, as the firm's adapting and changing, all these different opportunities came to me over my career. So I, I started in our assurance business and I supported some of our large complex clients where we were providing assurance and reviewing their financial statements and providing audits of their financial statements. Um, I moved into the telecommunication space, which gave me a great kind of foundation into complex technology systems. As a lot of the convergence happened in the early 90s or, or late 90s, early 2000s, which probably now immediately dates me. But as a lot of that convergence happened and you had these organizations coming together with telecom and technology and innovation and media and some of the other pieces that came through, my clients gave me more experience because they all started to bring those pieces together, which started to give me the, the kind of foundation and introductions to technology innovation at scale because we were working with our clients as we were all figuring that out. And that opportunity then, then created other management and leadership opportunities at the firm. And it was probably now three, four years ago that uh, Tim Ryan, our senior partner and chair, um, asked me to take on the chief digital officer role, which had never existed in the firm prior to that. And, and that, that to me is, is a great example, not only obviously proud of what we've accomplished together, um, but the, the idea that, that new roles continue to develop and new opportunities develop and the business changes so rapidly, uh, that's, that's been a great part of the ride at PwC. Mm, that's amazing. That's a really incredible journey. So if I, I'm curious, um, with Corona and everything it's brought, um, let's talk practical. Sure. What are some, some challenges or some, I mean, you could look at it as challenges or you could say new opportunities, yep. but what are some just challenges, <laughs> just, just challenging challenges there, but okay, we'll um, some of them opportunities too. Yeah. Well, yeah. But what are some, some of the new, new projects or new initiatives or, or new kind of essential um, issues that you've needed to tackle that have come for you? 
I mean, one, one of the biggest was, was um, something our technology teams, James Shire, our global CIO, and some of our technology teams that support James. The, the first practical matter was we needed to shift where people were working, like most organizations, right? And, and for us, you know, 50 plus thousand people in the U.S., roughly 275,000 around the world. Wow. And, and very rapidly, all of these folks that were supported by um, technology infrastructure and, and all of the investments we've made in our offices and Wi-Fi infrastructure and access and security control and all of that, suddenly they were distributed. They were at their house. They were, uh, they were in their, their bedroom. They were in their basement. They were wherever they were. And, and we had to provide the technology support to do that. And one of the things that James and team did is very early on realized that our capacity for network connectivity needed to come ramping up way, way up. And they didn't do that in March where most of us in the U.S. really started to feel the impacts of the pandemic. They did it in January, um, which was huge because their foresight there on what was happening around the world and what that was going to mean to the U.S. and some of our larger territories, um, their foresight there was was huge. And, of course, there were a whole bunch of our technology vendors that helped us make that work as well. So that, that I think, was the first pragmatic challenge is we've got to keep people on and we have to keep them focused. The second, the second challenge was actually a much more, um, I'll say, business-centric challenge of as all of our clients dealt with the uncertainty and the constraint on spend and the budget constraints and, the, and, and again, just the, the, the desire that most organizations had as you go into a pandemic to control your spending and, and maintain your cash. Um, we, we laugh that cash, cash is royalty in a crisis, right? You've got you've to hold on to it. Yeah. And so that has implications, not just for us, but for all of the vendors and partners that clients work with. And so we saw significant um, pressure on the business in the in what is our fourth quarter of our fiscal year, which is the second second quarter of the calendar year. And in that that pressure, then for us, the pragmatic question was: How do we support our people through that time? And it, we're an organization that's built on talent. I mean, our people make the place work. And so the commitment that, that Tim made and that the senior leadership made behind him was we were going to make sure that we did everything we can to protect jobs during that period and that layoffs, if they had to happen, would be a last resort. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of the work the teams did to reshape the business, keep people focused on the market, serve clients where they needed to be, adjust where we needed to. Uh, but we were able to navigate through the summer and now to this date, we have not had any massive significant layoffs um, across the firm. We've had really no organizational layoffs of any kind. And that that uh, in the U.S. And that has been, I think, a really important message to our people that, you know, it's not just a good times, uh, we're in it together kind of thing. It's a good times and bad times, we're in it together. And so that that was the second really practical challenge. And then the third is, as as all these organizations are shifting to remote work and online work, uh, one of the things that I worry has been overstated is the impact of the pandemic on digital innovation and transformation. And and when I say it's been overstated, it's it's an enormous opportunity. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes that we we equate remote working and connectivity with digital transformation. And these tools of of uh, conference calling and, and video conferences, obviously, and um, all of the tools that are made available that people have gotten enormously more comfortable with than they were before the pandemic, that's huge progress in its own right, and it's an important progress point. But the way work actually is still getting done behind the screens, that's the transformation opportunity. How are people actually changing the way they work? Are they innovating that delivery of work in a way 
it's, it's, I, I've often said that, you know, we went to the early stages of innovation. It was like, oh, well, we stopped delivering our reports by paper. We've innovated. Well, that's an important first step, and you don't want to like miss that first step, but it's really the way you deliver insights to clients that they can actually engage in them in different ways. And I still feel like we're at the tip of that, that iceberg, if you will, in terms of how can people really unlock the way work gets done. And the good news is, I believe what the, what the pandemic has given us for all the challenges it represents and all the har- hardship it's created for people. But what it's given us from a work perspective is it's given people willingness to experiment and innovate with technologies, taking all of our comfort level way, way up. That's a huge opportunity that organizations are going to have to tap into because, frankly, what we've discovered is people's capacity to change and adopt tech is way greater than what we thought before the pandemic. I love that optimistic spin on the end there, Joe. And I think that you're so you're so right. I think even for me, um, thinking about my own career over the last year, I'm such an extrovert. I love the office. It's why Walk Me is one of the happiest places I could have ever worked is because we're all a very in-person, in-office, face-to-face kind of culture. And, you know, thinking about, hey, maybe I don't want to put down roots in the Bay Area. Where else am I going to go? The thing that always held me back was I'd have to look for a new job and I don't want to leave Walk Me. I want to be with this org. And I think, um, you know, even having COVID forcing you home and forcing you into being a remote worker, you kind of embrace like, I can totally do this. Like all of these roadblocks in your mind of I need an office, I need to see people every day. I mean, it would be nice now. What are we going on our ninth month? I'm not going to say I don't miss the office, but um, I think it's so true. I think really a lot of the things that we underestimated ourselves on as a workforce um, have, have really been disproven. Yeah I, yeah, I laugh sometimes that I that I miss airport food away more than I ever thought I would say, right? So, but just even the experience of enjoying a travel day and and as hectic as those travel days were, they were often days where you could you could just think, you could spend your time as you're moving around thinking. But I think this I think this point that you've made is so important about what it causes us all to rethink. Mm-hmm. And and that I think is the other again the optimist to me, the other opportunity that's there is so many things that were held as kind of pillars of the way that work and people got got constructed together has broken down. And yeah. and our choice now is do we just go rebuild it in a post-pandemic world or do we take advantage of the moment and say, no, we can create better flexibility for our people. We can create better balance for our people. And I know balance and work-life balance, we don't say that as much as we used to. We talk about work-life integration. And, and boy, has work life become integrated when we're all working from our living rooms and our kitchen tables. But, but the reality is that that opportunity to create greater, I'll say, boundaries between work and personal, um, and at the same time, break those boundaries where it's beneficial to both the employee and the organization, there's so much that can be rethought there. And I think that creates, um, it creates opportunities for employees and employers to get really, really innovative. Having said all that, um, I, I personally believe uh, that, that none of us are fully willing to give up the, the collaboration that comes from people being in the same room together. And so I think my, my hope is post-pandemic world, we'll see a return to that, but in a balanced way that we make, to make decisions about when that, when that really has value and benefit and when it doesn't. Speaking of what we can't control, I feel like even aside from COVID, this year as just human beings has been wild, Joe. You know, we we spoke earlier about kind of integrated work and life. This year we saw, you know, 
us as a community addressing racial and racial injustice in America. We saw one of the most divisive elections in our nation's history. How do all of these other factors kind of play into how you encourage your team, what leadership puts out? Because I think right now executives kind of are the face of how their companies respond to these types of things, how they make their employees feel like they really can bring their full selves into work. Yeah, it's look, it's it's been tricky business from a leadership perspective over the last several months for all the reasons you just articulated. But but having said that, um, from a firm perspective and from a leadership perspective, we come back to our values, and that may sound a little little um, uh, cliched, but I actually think that when when your values are real in an organization and you actually manage through them, we we often say we're purpose led and values driven. And, and what we mean by that is the decisions we make, the way we treat our people, our decision to navigate through the pandemic and do everything we can to avoid layoffs. That was a, that was a values-driven decision. That was not a profit-driven business decision, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. That had, that had implications on that. That was a values-driven decision. And I think when we talk about um, racial inequality and we talk about racism that still exists that needs to be stamped out, and we talk about injustice that still exists that needs to be stamped out. The question that we have to ask ourselves as leaders is, um, are, we, are we going to observe that at a distance and, and observe it like, like it's an academic study? Or are we going to understand that it's impacting the lives of our people every single day? That our people are coming to work with those fears, they're coming to work with those anxieties, they're coming to the work with their aspirations to make things better. And you can either embrace that or you can ignore it, frankly, as a leader. You can just not talk about it, right? So, well, that's a that's personal. It's not professional. I think those days are 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 gone. The integration of our lives in the way that people work and think, then then really commands leaders to embrace that, embrace that authenticity, and and frankly, have the hard conversations in the workplace about how we can be better. Now, one of the things that we did over the summer, we accelerated it by a year is we released our diversity and inclusion report. We had talked about releasing um, some of our internal stats before, but as events unfolded over the summer, it was clear that that organizations need to lead. And so we, we led not by saying we were perfect. We led by saying we have a lot of work to do, and here's the data to show you the work that we have to do, because we think that's how you create trust. That's how you create authenticity. That's important not only from our clients and the markets, but it's also important from our people because our people know. They see it. They know what we're great at. They know where we have work to do. But if you're not having an honest conversation, um, then then the likelihood that your teams are going to have that inspiration to help you solve goes away pretty fast. So I, I think that authenticity, having the conversation, having the courage to have those conversations in the workplace, supporting your teams on how to have those conversations and embrace them and, and encourage them. Um, and then just recognizing, we, and we talked a lot, particularly as the election loomed and all that uncertainty came in the fall, recognizing what that meant to pressure on people and how people felt. Um, not only were we all um, trying to figure out how to keep our lives from the, from the, keep it in the back of the screens that we all stare at all day, right? Um, we were also dealing with all the pressure and uncertainty that, that was surrounding all of us, regardless of where you sat in terms of what you thought should happen in the election. And we talked about that a lot, is just being empathetic to people, giving them time, giving them support, giving them mental health support, and making sure that they had they had the ability to engage in all that and that we were making things available to them. And I think that's I think that's the requirements of leadership these days as an employer. 
I'm wondering, like on a technology level, um, were there any major shifts that you saw or that you predict going into 2021 in terms of um, like in- investments on a software level that you think are essential or absolutely worthwhile right now? And maybe others that pre-corona era you thought would be high priority going into 2021 and they're just kind of not anymore? Like has anything major shifted in terms of major software? Yeah, I don't I don't know that there's anything I would point to that is maybe completely unexpected relative to where we are. Again, I think we all watch the adoption of collaboration software and connectivity software and and how important that came became as we all try to maintain connectivity. But one place we're investing really heavily, and in fact, just this week we've we've uh, we've started the the launch of our own product, which we call ProEdge, and ProEdge is really focused on upskilling, and and we have said often that upskilling your employees should start to become and look a little bit like an employee benefit, like a four hundred one k, that that organizations should expect to keep investing in the skill of their employees, and employees should expect that the organizations they work for are investments. So if, if that, if you believe that, and obviously we do, and a lot of our clients are, are headed down this path as well. If you believe that, the next question is, how do you figure out what your employees need and how do you kind of drive a development capability that's going to plug that together? And that's, that's what we've been, we've been looking at. We, we built a lot of the capability for ourselves as we went through what we called Your Tomorrow, which was our transformation. And now what we've done is we've packaged the Your Tomorrow capabilities um, for client consumption in ProEdge. And so we're, we're excited about that. Uh, but I think it is more broadly than just ProEdge. I think it's also an indicator of kind of where things are going. They're, they're going to this place that the technology tools that are available to employees should be about growing employee capability and not just in skill being um, developed and not just being in knowledge being developed, but how it then gets applied. And that brings me all the way back to where we started, right? If you say digital transformation has got to be the way work gets done, well, it's not an, it's, it's important to say, do you understand how, how technology gets applied to solve problems? That's important. But, but giving your employees that understanding, we, we sometimes refer to that as upknowledging, right? You get them a different perspective. It's really important. But until you get them to apply it, and you all live in the world of adoption and application, right? Until you get them to apply it, you're not going to get, frankly, their own benefit of, of the skill being developed because you're repeating it and adopting it. But you're also not going to get the business benefit of the investments that you're making. And that's the other trend line I would say that we're seeing. You see these large-scale technology-driven transformations that may be driven by um, financial system implementation. They may be driven by a CRM implementation. They may be driven by talent implementations, like all the major business functions. What what companies are are saying now is they're looking at and challenging how they get the right returns out of those investments. And that's been a discussion forever because these are expensive and difficult. But But companies have figured out as, as you all know from the WalkMe perspective, right? That if I don't get adoption and, and engagement, then I'm not going to get return. And one of the ways that you get adoption and engagement is you skill people for the use of the technology in a different way than they were when they were there. And it, there's a million silly analogies you could use, but if, you, if you're trying to elevate somebody from driving a car to flying an airplane, but you don't actually train them on flying airplanes or you don't give them the understanding of dynamics or you don't give them the understanding of what's expected, the likelihood they're going to be able to do anything safe or helpful or uh, provide a meaningful return when they sit in the cockpit of the airplane is pretty small. So helping them see it and helping them not only just because it's training, but helping them drive the skills development 
I think that's a huge, huge trend um, that more and more companies are going to have to tackle. Welcome to the hot seat. Now let's get a little more personal with the hot seat questions. Joe, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a policeman. I love that. You know how many people answer like these kind of superhero style answers like and all of you guys became these high powered individuals that really do so much uh, rescuing <laughs> in a corporate in a very corporate way. I love that. Well, okay. When I was a kid, there weren't chief digital officers and chief technology officers. So who, who, maybe if I'd known, I would have aspired to that. All right. What is the last app that you downloaded? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, last app that I downloaded was, oh, I just refreshed uh, a thermostat technology app for thermostats and home automation in my home. So I put in uh, a few light bulbs and I put in two new thermostats because uh, we have two zones and it was complicated and full of a couple swears, but actually it went really well. Yeah. All right. What is one piece of advice it, that you could give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? Um, I, it would probably be don't don't mistake leadership for having to provide all the answers. Uh, that that actually, in my experience, having worked worked for great leaders, what 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 they're really good at is helping the teams arrive at the right questions. And when you can arrive at the right questions, if you surround yourself with talented people, then you can figure out the answers. All right. What's the first software experience that you remember having? So I had a, um, I don't even think the company exists anymore, Commodore VIC-20, okay. which, was, which was one of the first personal computers. And um, I was learning basic programming on that because my father was a technology engineer and so he was teaching me some coding. So I was, I think, in the fifth or sixth grade on that thing and doing a little coding on basic, uh, which, was, which was the only language available on the VIC-20, which I think had like eight kilobytes of, of memory at the time. If, wow. if so, yeah, that was, uh, that was a little while ago. All right. If you could automate one thing in your life, what would it be? Anything. <sighs> if I could automate one thing in my life, I would probably automate uh, dinner. I, I do a lot of takeout, which is great. Uh, it's kind of like automating. Yeah, that is kind of automating, actually. But I'd automate dinner prep because there are nights you like to kind of cook at home. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not skilled enough in it. So, you know, a little Jetsons action with uh, talking to the replicator and having some dinner pop out would not be too terrible. Um, describe one professional regret that you have, if you have one, and what you would do differently. Um, this will sound disingenuous, but I'm not sure I can really speak to many professional regrets. I mm. certainly have made mistakes over my career, but learned from every single one of them. Um, I think the if if anything the only thing I would say which isn't quite a regret but I would say early in my career I probably worried a whole lot more about kind of what career decisions I would make what that were ahead and if I was going to give myself advice it would be don't worry too much about that the, the opportunities present themselves and if you're open to them that kind of plays out That's great. So the regret is wasted energy on worrying not wasted, necessarily wasted worries when I yeah. was when I was young yeah. a thousand years ago. If you could take a digital device or a pet with you for the weekend, which would it be? It'd probably be a pet. I got. A, I've got a little toy poodle. He's my Aww. buddy. He's he's Aww. old. He's really old. So he's like sixteen now. 
So, you know, given the I'd rather, hang out with him. Now, I'd rather hang out with him for a little longer, the digital devices would be waiting for me. That's a really good answer. It's very cute. I wish we could see him. <laughs> <laughs> He's not here. All right. What is one goal that you have for your organization, big or small, for this upcoming year? Um, the the big goal I would say is is to position the firm um, not only as a as a great advice provider but as a as a solutions provider, so mm-hmm. that so that clients um, benefit from not just our ability to see perspective. Hopefully, they they benefit from our ability to share perspective on a problem and kind of give advice on how to solve it. But that we continue to drive our teams to solution architecture and delivery, whether that's with our technologies or with our partner technologies, so that we uh, we stay in the business of solving client problems, and obviously in our assurance business, continue to stay in the business of of, of helping clients get the right assurance on their financial statements. That's a really really important function of the firm. All right, we are out of time. Thank you so much. This was so great. It feels like it feels like an intro. Like. I want to just continue. This so we'll this this has got to be a series, Leah. <laughs> all right, just the Joe series. Joe and Walker. <laughs> all, all in, all in. Awesome. When you guys call, I'm I'm here. So really Love appreciate it. the chance to to talk with you. Love the work that you guys are doing, and uh, thank you. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Joe. It's a pleasure meeting you. You lived up to the hype. Like <laughs> yeah. I said, you're PwC famous, and you really lived up to it. So <laughs> love it. We'll have a great one. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Want to hear from more top leaders? All of season one is available now. This is Digital Adoption.